Welcome to Moving Forward. I'm your host, Lynn Swanner. On this podcast, I'll interview forward-thinking Christian school leaders and educators on best practice, innovative approaches, and new opportunities in Christian education. I'm Dr. Charlotte Marshall-Powell, and I'm the Senior Researcher at ACSI. Today, I'll be hosting Moving Forward's podcast on trauma-informed practices in Christian schools, where I'll talk with Betsy Winkle, Director of Evaluation Services at the nonprofit All Belong. All Belong partners with Christ-centered schools and churches to create and maintain inclusive communities for persons of all abilities. We we will discuss the importance of trauma-informed perspectives in light of the impact of COVID-19 on our students and staff. Betsy, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Betsy, you just wrote a blog post on trauma-informed practices for Christian schools. And for our listeners, we'll be sure to post the links to those resources in the podcast notes. Today, I'd like to focus on exploring some of your thoughts and suggestions a bit further, especially as we look toward how we can best support our students and our faculty and staff this upcoming fall. So the first question I'd like to ask is, how has COVID-19 caused or contributed to trauma for students and educators? Well, I think we will continue to understand more and more as we get more research about the extent of the impact of trauma on students and educators as we kind of travel through the rest of the summer and get ready for the school year. But certainly that lack of consistency, the predictability and the routine that school brings for us as educators and for our students, increased level of worry about the health of our family and friends particularly those that are on the front lines or that are in those vulnerable categories. Kids are worrying about their parents' loss of jobs, being aware of the lack of income, food scarcity. All of those can be stressors, both for parents and for students. As educators, we experienced a lot of disruption in relationships with others. And for some students, it was really an abrupt ending where they were at school one day and the next day they weren't and haven't had a chance to even work through the lack of those relationships in their life, which often are really supportive and positive relationships for kids. It's also a lot of grieving, a lot of loss of familiar and expected routines. I think particularly of students that were at transition points, so those that were transferring buildings or perhaps ending high school, perhaps ending middle school or elementary school that had a lot of things to look forward to, class trips. And certainly for educators, there are so many events that culminate at the end of the school year, seeing kids be successful academically after months of hard work and just celebratory routines that weren't a part of our life this spring at all. I also think the lack of access to mental health supports and food for kids could be a big piece that was missing. Just being at home, unless you had access to some external sources or schools were able to pivot quickly and provide some of those mental health resources. For some of our kiddos that really benefit from that support in the school setting, to not have um, those supports to help them travel through this really uncertain time If your family was highly stressed during this circumstance, whether it's just a it's a heightened level of anxiety due to some mental health challenges or whether it was increased stressors, lack of job, lack of resources, things like that, that just increased the stress level in the home. Um, All of that stress, kids' little bodies absorb, and that's really what leads to the dysregulation that we see with kids that have experienced trauma. 
Wow. When you really do think about all those different elements that you just discussed, so the disruption, the grieving, the loss, just the the changes that all the students and educators are all going through, it can definitely seem overwhelming. And so how might we begin to examine or explore behavior as a form of communications? In the fall, when students are returning to the classroom or returning to different campuses, how might we understand different behaviors as a way of students communicating to us and letting us know how they're doing? Behavior as communication is something that we talk about all the time at All Belong, um, that we really want to be in tune with the behaviors that we're observing around us in the students that we're working with. Our students might not have the words to really tell us what this experience was like for them, particularly our young students might not have the words for that. And we tend to communicate a lot of how we feel and how we're working through situations with our behaviors. Some of the behaviors that we might see with students would be more hypervigilant, so being really attentive to the environment. So if, we, if you think about yourself living in a stressful, where your stress level is pretty high, we become very aware of the things around us, and that's where that hypervigilance kind of comes from. So we might have students who are just overly attentive to the circumstances around them, noises, smells, movement, things like that. Certainly difficulty with transitions. Students are really going to benefit from how we communicate routine in a thoughtful way. So likely some of our routines are going to look different. So returning to school or whether it's a hybrid model, you know, I think a lot of things are on the table right now. It is going to be lots of transitions that are going to look different. And we know that those transitions are typically a time that can raise anxiety a lot of dysregulated behavior, so trouble managing emotions and behaviors, impulsive behaviors, some of that leans back into that hypervigilant state where we become overly reactive. But also, we talk about the window of tolerance and how well we can handle different circumstances in our life and situations like what we're living through that raise our stress level give us less of a window of tolerance. So there's less of a buffer for things that might raise our emotional level. So we might see a lot of really big emotional reactions to things that typically weren't. So like the size of the reaction definitely outdoes the size of the problem. We might see some challenges with recall memory of new information just being overly focused when we think about our brain capacity and how much ability we have to stay focused on the lesson or what we're learning. Well, if part of our mind is filled with worry or over attention to the environment around us, both a lack of attention and the inability or the difficulty of remembering that information while could be a challenge. Um, and we also might see some behavioral stressors in relationships with others. Kids really want to be in harmony with each other. So we want to look at their behaviors, their interactions with others. Are they able to navigate and problem solve together? Are they able to extend grace to one another? And when we see those disruptions in relationship, we kind of want to move in and pay attention, particularly for those students that we've known and we have some familiarity with what their behavior is. If we see some big changes, whether they're more extreme and overt or whether kids are coming back and they're pretty quiet. If you notice those changes in some students that you're familiar with in particular, you just want to pay attention to that and, and move in, lean into where that's at and use that behavior as a way that kiddo is communicating with you that they're struggling in one way or another. 
So keeping all of those tips in mind, right? remembering that students will show up and there may be shifts in their tolerance level, they're hyper, they may be hypervigilant and have been exposed to different types of stressors. How might an educator think now proactively about how they could create a safe learning environment that would be trauma-informed? So thinking about relationships, routines, physical space, social, emotional learning, et cetera. How might they proactively think about those things now? Yeah, I love this question because I think we start to look into the ways that we can help for kids to be resilient in these difficult circumstances. And I very early on in my work to understand trauma-informed practices, relationships matter. Healing happens through relationships. And when we think about relationships, we want those relationships with students between educators and students to be consistent um, and to be predictable. So you're kind of a safe haven for a kid. They know what to expect when they walk into your classroom. As I've listened to folks talk about how we can help students as they transition back into the school setting, being fully present, being calm and open, and having a real reflective posture with kids so that they know you're there for them, And what they are saying and sharing with you matters in those moments. So noticing kids, letting them know that you've thought about them when you weren't with them and that you continue to think about them when you aren't there. One of the ways that we can make sure that all students have a caring adult kind of leaning into them as we head back to this, I heard of a school, and this was pre-COVID, that took the names of all of their students that were re-entering the school and posted those names all around a hallway or you know, some common space as their staff rejoined together and had people take sticky notes and write their name about these are this is a student that I am going to check in with and going to support periodically throughout the school year. Just so you know, every student has an adult or two that's really leaning into them and checking in with them to see how they're connecting with others, how they're feeling about themselves, and how they're feeling about their school year. So being proactive and making sure that those relationships are present for students routines for sure. If you've read anything over the COVID period from folks in the social emotional learning area, creating healthy routines at home as we transitioned was a high priority to help create that safety and to buffer the trauma that kids were experiencing. So thinking about routines as kids head back to school, both in terms of what's going to look new and different, if masks are a part of it, what does the routine around that look like? If health screenings are a part of re-entering school, what does that look like? But also within a classroom, what's your daily schedule going to be? And some great ways to really help kids in this heightened time of stress is to build in movement and creativity and play. Those are de-stressing activities for kids. So if you can incorporate those at different points throughout the day, that can really help for students to stay regulated. Also knowing that this year is going to require a great deal of flexibility, both for students and for staff and for families. How are you going to communicate those changes in routine if they come up? And certainly in our work at All Belong, as you're creating routines, we want to be thinking about how are we presenting this to our diverse learners, making sure that it's just not one mode of communication to students and to families, but it's visuals. What do visuals look like for routines? What are you saying to folks? And what are the ways that you can reinforce and communicate those? 
And I would add, you're probably going to need to repeat those routines more often than normal. We've all been out of practice for those and our stress level is going to likely be a bit heightened as we settle into what the new school year looks like. So being prepared to repeat those routines on probably a more frequent basis than typical. Physical space is another thing we want to think about. I listened to one researcher in our area that presents on creating trauma-informed classrooms in schools, and she talked about creating your classroom as a space that looks more like a spa. So think calming, natural, cool, all of those things that can help to create a less stressful environment. I also think about creating safe spaces for big emotions. Some schools will have different, whether it's a sensory room for calm down or there's an area within the school or the classroom. Again, we're going to have to pay attention to shared spaces as we head back to school. So some of those shared spaces might not be possible, but can you create mobile calm down kits? Things that have fidgets or headphones or coloring activities, glitter jars so that kids have something to focus on to kind of recreate a feeling of calm for them. And building social emotional skills, what does that look like? Some schools have already adopted real formal curriculums that go along with that, and there's definitely a lot of resources available. Some of those I listed in the blog post, but many social emotional learning curriculums have provided a lot of free materials over this COVID period, and some of those links were attached But what are some ways that you can embed those social-emotional learning skills throughout the day? Self-regulation activities. There's a lot of different games you can play. Think of things like Simon Says that just really teach us to how do we control our bodies in space in a fun way, um, in a way that doesn't almost feel like learning to some kids. How do we think about emotion management? How do we teach that? How do we talk about how big is the problem and how big is our response? And then creating plans for handling those stressful situations. I'm a big reader and literature can be such a great way to help process feelings and awareness about our feelings. Sometimes it's easier for kids to identify that when it's not specifically about them, but you can use a lot of different literature and even picture books I mean that this is kind of a all grades to think about how you can use literature to identify emotions um, and to think about how you work through hard situations. We also want to communicate to our students that worry is okay. This has been a time where there's been a lot of unfamiliar and unpredictable things that have happened. So sharing strategies that you use to cope and asking kids, boy, what are some things that help for you to stay calm or help for you to return to calm? And kind of focusing on incorporating those throughout the day. I also love the research of Dr. Mark Brackett. He's out of Yale, and he talks about being emotional scientists to be curious about emotions. So helping to create that curiosity for ourselves as educators can help for kids to be curious about that too and help them to connect more with how their own physiology is communicating to them a level of stress or a level of calm. Those are all really practical things that we can do to support kids throughout the day as they settle back into school. So what would you say to a family member that's interested in all of these things? They want to become an emotional scientist. They want to learn about different ways they might be able to support their own children and and educators even, supporting students, increasing their competency in social emotional learning. 
what partnerships might you recommend or, or just advice that you would give to families, professionals, et cetera, as to how they can support students during this time? Oh boy, with families, I would say, and I talk about this in my office a lot, is sharing where you're at and how you're experiencing this. And certainly you want to pay attention to the words you're saying from a developmental perspective. But the more we're curious about emotions, where our own come from, and how we can help for students to be aware of their own emotions too. For educators, there is CASEL is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, and they are a great resource for building up our social-emotional skills. Again, like finding, there's even book lists and different things like that that you can pay attention to. There's a lot of podcasts that talk about trauma-informed practices within schools as well. I think as educators, inviting parents in, surveys, asking parents, boy, what was this experience like for you? And how can we collaborate together to plan for what this is going to look like? Being aware of resources in your community and knowing what the mental health providers are around your particular school setting will be really helpful. Speaking of links, you talk about a link in the blog post between teacher well-being and their ability to care well for their students. What kinds of things can we do proactively to address teacher well-being? There are definitely a lot of different strategies, some of which are very similar to how we want to think about establishing routines for students. We really want to do those same things for our staff as well, to embed those practices into our daily routines or weekly routines. So as educators, as we head back to school, think about what are the things that you do to stay regulated and how can you embed those in your day? There's some ways that you can even think about doing those as a school staff. One school that I'm familiar with, they use restorative practices in their school and they embed restorative circles as a part of their staff meetings. So at the end of each week, they debrief together and they ask a couple of simple questions. One of them is, what's the weather in your world? It's a really fast way to check in with everybody, to find out how everyone's doing and really fosters community. Another question that they ask is, if anyone wants to give a shout out to a student or to a staff person of something that they observed either that day or that week, it's a way that we can practice gratitude and recognize the positives that are happening. But establishing those practices and procedures within your school community can really foster belonging. And it's so important for our staff to feel to, to feel heard and to recognize that our own emotions are going to play a role in how our days go. There's so much research right now about practicing gratitude and how do we pay attention to the gifts that God gives us every day and how do we stay focused on those in the midst of our changing circumstances. Another thing you could do is think about, boy, how do we pair folks up so they could have more frequent check-ins with each other, almost like a buddy system or a mentor kind of system. And just using that as an opportunity to check in with each other. How are you doing with some of the basics like sleep and nutrition and exercise? And are you making time to do the things that bring you joy? Another way we can really support our staff in their own mental health and well-being is communicating clearly and working together to work through this change. I just imagine as educators, we all would love to know what the school year is going to look like in 2021. And we just don't know what that's going to exactly look like. And I've heard some administrators say it's going to be a year of 
being prepared to be flexible and adaptive. So making sure that we're communicating and seeking feedback and supporting each other when we're discouraged, but really fostering that sense of belonging and creating those opportunities for recharging. The adage of putting your oxygen mask on first when you're in an airplane before putting it on your students is so true. So if as the adults in the school building, we can work to stay regulated, that will drastically impact how our students are feeling, particularly those that are the most emotionally vulnerable as we head back to school. So one last question for you. How can All Belong help us in understanding ways to prepare in the fall in these areas and even perhaps others that we haven't discussed yet? At All Belong, our lens is definitely for, boy, how do we include those learners that have diverse needs? Um, And for sure, in these circumstances, a lot of our skills and our training will apply so well to the majority of students as they enter back to school. One of the real tangible specific ways is we can provide some support in thinking about routines and what those need to look like for your learners that have sensory needs, for those that have anxiety or physical differences, and how are you going to communicate that with others? Reach out when you notice those challenging behaviors. We're very familiar with working with students that have behaviors that are unexpected. And we really lean into the see, think, do process. With careful observation, we start to notice patterns or themes. So leaning into that as educators. And then thinking, once you have had a chance for that careful observation, what do you think might be influencing, triggering, or altering that student's ability to meet the expectations? And then working collaboratively to really develop a plan. We really like to think of the layers of support for staff and for students, really similar to that tiered model that we think about for education, but also thinking about that from a behavioral and a social-emotional standpoint. What does that tier one level of support look like as you return with kind of a trauma-informed lens for your students? What are those general practices that you're going to do? And some of those are more of the environmental design kinds of things or establishing sensory activities, routines to really help kids or if you have a social emotional learning curriculum that you use. And then to think through what's that tier two level of support? What is the small group kind of ways you're adjusting for individual students? And then thinking, boy, when we've worked with a student and we're really struggling with, boy, how do we understand their behavior and increase that level of support? What's that tier three level of support? What does that look like? And what are the resources that you need to reach out to within your school building and within your community? So I think our lens of thinking through kind of general student behaviors and then as behaviors become more intense or just persistent over time, starting to look at a more, boy, what do we see? What do we think? What do we do? It's such a great lens to really understand kids and all their uniquenesses. Thanks, Betsy, so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It was so good to be with you all, and I'm excited for the opportunity really to partner with you all as we think about students returning to school after living through this just unprecedented time in education and in our world. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us today as well. Please be sure to check the notes on this podcast for additional resources and references related to today's conversation. Podcast notes can always be found on the ACSI blog at blog.acsi.org. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the blog again at blog.acsi.org, or you can also subscribe on iTunes. While you're there, rate or review the show and spread the word on social media. Thanks for all that you do to move Christian education forward. 